download and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasting from the JNK Twin Studios. This is the Reds Fans Chatter Podcast Breakdown, an in-depth look at a Red season, player, or game. Now, here's your hosts, Scott Evans and Nick Lawson. And welcome to the breakdown episode of uh, Reds Fans Chatter Podcast. I'm Scott Evans. He is Nick Lawson. What's going on, man? I'm, I'm, I've been waiting for this episode for a long time. Yeah, we, this is like going to be our very first episode uh, when we first started talking about doing the podcast in the offseason last year. Then the Reds uh, did something we didn't expect, put a team together to be uh, competitive, so we concentrated on the season. It was a little bit disappointing, but uh, on how it ended, but overall to talk about the uh, new team. But now, uh, for the rest of the offseason, until the hot stove leagues uh, gets fired up anyway, we are going to be breaking down players, seasons, games, uh, events, and uh, much, much more. So uh, this week, though, we're going to be talking about the hit king, Pete Rose. Yes, the man. The greatest <laughs> hitter. Well, not the greatest hitter of all time, but the man with the most hits. Right. So before we get started, though, uh, be sure to check out redsfanschatter.com slash steak. Uh, get some good deals uh, from the Holy Grail Steak Company. They uh, deliver uh, portfolio steaks, including uh, Black Angus, uh, Wagyu, uh, and A5 grade Japanese Wagyu. So uh, lots of great steaks, and you can get 25% off tomahawks. Uh, just go to redsfanschatter.com slash steak uh, for all the details. And uh, while you're at it, be sure to hit the subscribe button on uh, however you're listening to us, because uh, do that, subscribe to our podcast, Take a screenshot of the subscription, email that along with this week's keyword, Hit King, uh, to contests at redsfanschatter.com. Uh, you get one entry per week, and a uh, winner will be drawn on November 30th. So uh, you got to be li- living. And uh, we'll uh, contact you uh, if, if you win. So uh, take a su- subscription, take a screenshot of your subscription to our podcast. And uh, send us the keyword "hit king," and uh, you'll be entered to uh, win uh, the Marty Brenneman uh, Hall of Fame induction commemorative microphone. It's it's really cool. It uh, actually talks too. You gotta play it. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that actually picked up, but it said, "And this one belongs to the Reds." I think it says a couple of different things. No, it just says, and this one belongs to the Reds, but you can never get tired of hearing that phrase. I, I wish they would have put in, like, maybe him and Joe doing a call together, like maybe Pete's 4192. <laughs> well, Hello, people. They did Well, they did that before on the uh, on the Marty Brenneman talking uh, bobblehead. It's it's not up for uh, the contest, but uh, here's that one. <laughs> so they, yeah, uh, man, I miss, I miss Joe so much. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and of course we'll be talking about that hit on this show, but if you do want to enter the contest, once again, 
subscribe to our podcast. Take a screenshot of it. Send it to contests at redsfanschatter.com and use the keyword Hit King for this week's episode. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the Hit King. Uh, Pete Rose, you know, uh, born and raised in Cincinnati, uh, got to play for his hometown team. And, you know, the stories behind it are just kind of crazy, too. So born on April 14th, 1941, uh, got the nickname Charlie Hustle, uh, played uh, from 1963 to 1986 in the majors. Uh, most of those years uh, for the Reds, he also played, of course, for the Expos and the Phillies and uh, played almost every position uh, in the field, uh, first base, third base, uh, outfield. Second base. Second base. Uh, I don't think he ever caught. <laughs> no, I don't think he ever caught or played short. Right, but uh, still, definitely uh, what, what any any uh, lack of skill that he may have had, he made up for in uh, hard work and uh, uh, the amount of records he uh, he owns is is just amazing. We'll get into that. Uh, but uh, early life, of course, uh, one of four children, uh, born to uh, Harry Francis Pete and Laverne Rose, a member of the Order Order of De Mole. I'm pronouncing that horribly. As a young boy, he was encouraged uh, by his parents to uh, participate in sports. He played baseball and football at Western Hills High School. And uh, even though he's small for his age, he started at running back, which is just kind of crazy to think of. But you know what? The way he played baseball, uh, he, he did kind of keep that uh, running back mentality uh, in the way that he ran the bases. He was actually a pretty decent football player at high school, from what I understand. Right. Well, uh, he was, but uh, he was not promoted to the varsity football team his sophomore year. It's almost like a Michael Jordan type story. <laughs> uh, so he felt a little dejected from that, lost his interest uh, in school. And then at the end of the school year, uh, his teachers decreed that he's going to have to attend summer school or be held back. And uh, his father decided it would be better for him to repeat a year of school rather than miss playing baseball. That was a really good – usually that's kind of a bad parental decision, uh, but that was actually a really good uh, decision in this case. Yeah, because, I mean, Pete had the determination to go and play baseball and be the best best player you, that you've ever seen. Right. Of course, uh, that also meant uh, by his senior year of, of high school, he ran out of eligibility, so he uh, joined the Class AA team of – in uh, the Dayton Amateur League, uh, which was sponsored by Frisch's Big Boy of uh, Lebanon, Ohio. Uh, and there he did actually play catcher, second base, and shortstop and hit 626 uh, in that amateur league. Um, but, and you know, and he kind of fell under the uh, radar. Uh, no scouts were really paying attention to him. Uh, probably would have ended his baseball career then, but uh, his uncle... Uh, was a scout for the Reds and then pleaded for the Reds to uh, give Rose a chance. Uh, the Reds traded away a number of prospects uh, around that year in 1960 and decided to take a chance upon Pete. And uh, once he graduated high school, he got a uh, professional contract. So a little bit different story than Joe Nuxall, who uh, actually signed while he was still in high school, but uh, Reds took, took a chance on Rose. Something probably won't ever happen again, just the way the business of baseball is structured now. And 
the amateur leagues and how, how big college baseball has become in the last 10 years. I mean, it used to be no one really paid attention to college baseball. Now it seems if you look at the draft picks, um, there's a, quite a few more coming from the college ranks than uh, before. Yeah, you don't see too many high school players do what Pete did. Yeah, of course, back then the draft uh, was different, if there was even a draft. But, yeah, there's very few ever, if any, uh, undrafted free agent uh, players out of high school. Yeah, I don't think there was a draft until probably 65, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I may, I may be wrong. Somebody's going to correct me later. <laughs> but I, I think he basically was what I think Joey said is a walk-on. Um, it's like, no, I don't think it's a walk on, but I think the scouts saw him though and liked what they saw. Right. Well, it was, it was actually his uncle who uh, worked for the Reds. So, you know, people complain all the time about, you know, the Reds go family, Reds go family, tired of the Williams, tired of the bells. However, <laughs> if you look back, Pete Rose may have never happened had it wouldn't have been for a family connection. So don't always complain about everything that you see. Well, say for Barry Larkin. Well, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Cincinnati Reds uh, has got his career started uh, in a uh, spring training game against the Chicago White Sox in 1963. Um, the regular second baseman, Don, who I'd never heard of in Reds history, uh, pulled a groin muscle, Don blasting game. And Rose got his chance uh, to make the most of it and during another spring training game against the Yankees. Uh, Whitey Ford gave him the uh, Charlie Hustle nickname after Rose, Rose sprinted to first uh, after a walk, which, uh, you know, very few players do that now. I think a few I've even seen take the overly dramatic, almost actually walking uh, down to first base. But uh, Rose, he sprinted down. Um, you, you occasionally see a few other players do that, usually players that aren't going to be your top stars uh, in the in the league that need to show that extra hustle. But uh but Rose did that uh, pretty much his entire career. He would run to first base on a walk. Well, I think as he told a story once that his dad asked him one time after a game when he walked, and he said, did you did you walk to first or did you run? And he said he walked, and he told him, don't you ever do that again. I want you to hustle no matter if it's ball four. No matter what it is, you hustle to first base, and Pete's always had that in mind. Right. And so he did. He always started hustling after that first base. Yeah, I think Whitey Ford kind of meant it as a little bit of a, a smart-ass remark, but uh, despite that, Pete uh, kind of uh, took that as a badge of honor, and uh, Ford's uh, teammate and uh, best friend at the time, Mickey Mantle, uh, claimed that Ford gave Rose the nickname uh, after Rose playing in left field made an effort to climb the fence to catch a Mantle home run that was about 100 feet over his head. <laughs> so, uh and plus, sadly, we just lost Whitey Ford. Absolutely. Uh, he was a great player and a great pitcher and a great man. So later that year, though, Rose made his actual Major League debut on April 8th, 1963, against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Crosley Field. And in his first at-bat, drew a walk. That's Pete. Yep. And then after that, though, he went 0 for 11 to start his career. Well, I think he, he rebounded quickly after that. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, got his first major league hit off of Bob Friend, uh, and then hit 273 for the year, won the National League Rookie of the Year Award, uh, collecting 17 out of the 20 votes. And uh, if you've ever seen his uh, rookie baseball card, it's kind of crazy because it lists like there's like three other players on it. It's not even a, a fully Pete Rose uh, card, which, you know, today they have 
all these special cards and players have to sign like 200 of them. Trevor Bauer uh, recent, recently showed that when he had – like before the game he went to pitch, and I, I think he pitched amazingly well. He had to sign like 200 uh, baseball cards. That's money. If you're a card collector like I am, you know, Pete Rose's rookie card is one of the most valuable cards in, in a collection. Right. But I mean, and, I, and it's, it's tough to get. Yeah, absolutely. It's just kind of crazy to think that uh, uh, getting sidetracked a little bit on Bauer, but signing signing that much with your pitching arm and then going out and pitching. But uh, not going to complain. He pitched well all year, especially in the postseason. So, uh, anyway, back to Pete Rose. Uh, another fun fact, Rose entered the uh, U.S. Army Reserves after the 1963 baseball season, uh, got assigned to Fort Knox for six months of active duty, uh, followed by six years of uh, attendance uh, with the 478th Engineering Battalion in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. Um, was a platoon guide and graduated from uh, the U.S. Army basic training uh, January of 1964. Because you know back then, uh, players, it's not like, you know, they're making lots of money as rookies or even lots of money at all during this era of baseball. So, uh, cause it's before free agency. Uh, so that was, I guess his off season gig. He, he joined the army reserves. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Might as well. I mean, you don't know what everybody did in the off season. Yeah. He was actually as a company cook at the, and when he was in Fort Thomas, uh, as part of the army reserves. Of course, you know, other other Reds uh, were also in the same unit, including uh, Johnny Bench, Bobby Tolan, and uh, Daryl Chaney. So uh, completely different times. I, I know um, today, very. I don't think you would see a Major League Baseball player um, join the Army Reserves, not because they wouldn't want to, but just because their contract and the money involved and the teams involved. So, um Completely different area. It's kind of hard. To, you couldn't imagine Joey Votto joining the uh, Canadian Air Force or something. That would be weird. <laughs> I mean, I could see him doing it. That's not a, uh, in any uh, remark against Joey, but, uh, yeah, it, it would be completely different to see a top uh, star or uh, upcoming rookie uh, in the offseason do anything other than uh, play baseball. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to World War II, I mean, you like see Joe DiMaggio and Bob Feller, and those guys went to war, uh, and they and Ted Williams, they 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 spent years away from the game, and it you know took a lot of years off of their playing career, but you know they're considered heroes for what they did. Right. So um, in the early years of uh, Rose's career, uh, 1964, Rose uh, against the Houston Colt 45s before they became the Astros, reached first base on an error in the top of the ninth inning and scored on another error. Uh, the, they lost the game in the bottom of the ninth inning, and Ken Johnson uh, became the first pitcher to lose a complete game no-hitter in that game. Uh, Rose slumped uh, later in the season and was actually benched. Uh, you know, Joey Votto was set down for three games. Uh, Rose actually got benched in his uh, sophomore season. Uh, hitting 269 that year. So Rose, that offseason, uh, played in the Venezuelan Winter League uh, with uh, the Lions of Caracas uh, during the 1964-65 offseason. And 65, Rose came back strong, hitting, uh, leading the league in hits, at-bats, and finishing sixth in the MVP balloting. Uh, it was the first of his 10 seasons with 200-plus hits, 
And uh, 312 batting average was the first of nine consecutive 300 hit seasons. Uh, of course, had career high 16 home runs in uh, 1966, and then uh, switched to second, switched from second base to right field uh, the following year. Uh, 16 home runs is a lot for Pete Rose. Yeah, I mean he did that twice in his career in a season. Um, yeah, he wasn't a home run hitter, obviously, but I mean, he, any way he could get hits, he was going to do it. Yeah, 69. He had 16 more home runs and hit 348 that year. That seems that it's crazy to think of it, hardly any player hitting hitting that high in today's uh, game. Yeah, I mean, what was the last guy to get close to 400 before this year was what Tony Gwynn? I think it hit right. like 394 or something like that in 1994. I think there was, yeah, it may have been Gwynn. Uh, it seems like there was another player somewhat recently in the 2000s, but uh, the last five six years, it's all. All been about the home run and uh, and getting on base. Of course, if you get on base, your average is going to be high anyway. But uh, which is how Joey Votto has a career three hundred average is because he walks a lot or or was walking a lot until the until the last couple of years. But uh, anyway, uh, Rose uh, leadoff man in uh, sixty nine two hundred eighteen hits, walked eighty eight times, and uh, paced the league in runs with one hundred and twenty. Had thirty three doubles, eleven triples. And actually, 82 RBI. Um, in that year, he slugged 512 and had a uh, 432 on base percentage. Um, it's just kind of crazy. I uh, got the batting I mean, title. Those, those are those are MB, MVP numbers, to ask me. Oh, absolutely! And that that year, though, uh, Rose barely won the hitting title, uh, inching out uh, Roberto Clemente, who had 345. A lot of great hitting back then. And it's kind of sad you don't have that in baseball today. I know this year we got to kind of throw it out, but it's it's been trending that direction uh, the last probably five, six years. Yeah. I mean, you, all those guys, I mean, those are Hall of Famers we're talking about. And that's a reason they're in the Hall of Fame because they were such great hitters. Roberto Clemente, one of the greatest ever, taken too soon. Him and P. Rose, I heard the story was on the last day they were. You know, not playing each other in different games, but it took Pete to go three for four, and then Roberto Clemente went two for five. Actually, got it backwards. So, <laughs> is it backwards? Yeah, okay. yeah. So Roberto Clemente, Clemente uh, went three for four that game. Rose had to go one for four, which is what he did, and that's how he okay. finished. Uh, three forty-eight, Clemente three forty-five. So very close. I love to see hitting uh, return to the majors like that. I think it makes exciting baseball. And, uh, you know, walking and home runs are okay, but, uh, but, uh, the, you know, a, a good, a good rally is usually uh, started a great inning, fun inning for the fans is, uh, when you get multiple hits, multiple hits, and then a home run, uh, versus, you know, strikeout, strikeout, walk, strikeout, inning after inning after inning. So, uh, I would love to see people, players take a, a more of a Pete Rose, uh, Kind of old school, mix maybe mix the old school with some of the analytics to get the better information. But sometimes I think I heard Pete Rose say that sometimes you get uh, too much information, start thinking too much, and it's going to have the opposite effect of what you want. He, I know he said a lot: see the ball, hit the ball. Pete, Pete would be the ultimate hitting coach. <laughs> yes, you he can't would. have anybody. You couldn't have anybody better than Pete Rose. I uh, mean, he could teach you that. He could teach you the hitting. He could teach you the analytics too. Absolutely. He's an encyclopedia of hitting. Uh, then, of course, we go to the 1970 season, and this is kind of where the legend of Pete Rose uh, begins. 
Uh, brand new Riverfront Stadium, only opened uh, for a couple of the weeks. Uh, opened on July 14th, 1970, uh, in the All-Star Game. Or it had only been open for a couple of weeks on July 14th, 1970, was the All-Star Game. And probably one of the most uh, still talked about uh, moments in All-Star Game history, uh, where Rose was facing California, California Angels' uh, Clyde Wright in the 12th inning. And uh, he singled and advanced to second on another single by Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, Billy Grab. Wow. <laughs> Grabarkowitz. They had um, some tough names back in those absolutely. days. Uh, that's why Vince Scully is probably the greatest announcer of all time, followed by Marty Brenneman. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, uh, Jim Hickman, then singled sharply to center. And Amos uh, Otis's throw went past Cleveland Indians catcher Ray Fossey as Rose came in, barreled over Fossey uh, to score the winning run. Uh, Fossey suffered a fractured and separated shoulder, uh, which went undiagnosed until the next year. Uh, Fossey continued to hit for average and finished the season at 307, but uh, had much diminished power. Um, he had 16 home runs before the All Star break, but only two afterwards. Played through. Uh, the 79 season, but never approached his uh, first year numbers. And, uh, you know, Rose didn't come out of that unscathed either. He missed three games with the bruised knee. Uh, but, you know, I know, uh, I think I've heard Ray Fossey said he didn't blame uh, Pete for that uh, or his uh, diminished numbers in his career. I know uh, some Red Sox fans uh, really hate Pete for that. And, um, it's kind of unfortunate uh, if that happened today. Take out the, uh, the, you know, the new catcher rules and everything, and how you know All Star Game is 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 back to being more of an exhibition. It was back then too, but uh, the players didn't play it that way, especially Pete Rose. Uh, but the medical side of things uh, that would not have gone undiagnosed in uh, 2020. No, he took every game seriously, right? Even well, if it was spring training. Right. I mean, Ray Fossey's injury, uh, not go- going undiagnosed the entire uh, season, him playing through that, that would not happen in today's baseball. No. And, and Fossey, like you said, he wasn't the same after that. I mean, he's, his career kind of diminished over the years, and, and he became a backup catcher. And, and, and you know, him and Pete, had, they had dinner the night before, and then Pete's mentioned this a million times. They had, they had dinner and was talking about the game and everything, and then Pete runs him over to the plate, so – you know, things happen. It's, it's baseball. It's, it's back when baseball was, was run in, in, in a, an efficient way. And he ran over catcher. It was part of the game. Now, today, it'd be like a felony. I don't know. Right. And then in uh, 1973, Rose uh, led the league with 230 hits, a 338 batting average, and won the NL MVP award and led the uh, Big Red Machine to the 1973 National League Championship Series against the Mets. Uh, but in that uh, series, uh, in the fifth game of uh, or fifth inning of Game Three, the the, the game almost got called off. Uh, Rose was on first base. Joe Morgan hit a double play ball to Mets first baseman John Milner. Uh, Rose slid into second in an attempt to break up the double play, and that incited a fight uh, with uh, Mets shortstop Bud Harrelson. Uh, bench clearing brawl, and then when the Reds took the field um, the next inning. The game was nearly called off after New York fans threw objects at Rose from the stands. Uh, Sparky uh, took the players off the field, 
And uh, Yogi Berra, who was managing the Mets at the time, uh, including Willie Mays, Tom Seaver, Cleon Jones, and Rusty Staub, uh, were summoned by the NL president, uh, Chubb Feeney, out to left field to calm down the fans. So kind of a crazy uh, moment. I, I don't think I've ever seen that either. I, I need to look up, look that up on uh, YouTube to see if the video exists for that because uh, that, that just that's kind of crazy. I've been to a game that we'll talk about a little bit later that was similar to that, but none of the players came out to calm anyone down. The one thing that comes to mind as a Cincinnati fan is uh, Sam Weiss grabbing the microphone to tell people to quit throwing stuff on the field because they live in Cincinnati and not Cleveland. That's still the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> with the fight and all the theatrics of that series, uh, the Reds lost that game 9-2 to and uh, lost the championship series 3-2, to but Rose in that series hit 381, including uh, an eighth-inning home run in game one and a 12th-inning home run in game four. A Pete Field postseason hitter. I mean, three twenty one career average is in the postseason. That's unheard of these days. Oh yeah, absolutely. That doesn't happen, especially with I the mean, Reds. Of course, you have to get to the postseason to have a to have an average like that. But uh, but yeah, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, he's sixty seven games in the postseason, three twenty one average, three eighty five on base percentage, four forty slugging. Dude, the dude was is in fuego. I mean, twenty eight walks and two hundred sixty eight at bats in the postseason. That's still pretty good. I right. mean, he didn't strike. He struck out only twenty two times in the postseason. Right. Of course, then uh, the heart of the big red machine started in seventy five, uh, the mid seventies, uh, in the seventy five seventy six season. The Reds, of course, won back to back World Series in those years. Uh, Pete Rose definitely a significant factor. Um, and, and and a big uh, a big move was uh, in the seventy five series. Uh, the Reds, uh, of course, Rose was playing the outfield. Sparky uh, Anderson uh, took a chance because uh, uh, on something that an earlier manager tried and uh, putting Rose at third base, uh, uh, and, and uh, Rose did not like it back in. Uh, in that part of his career because he was forced to pay play third and Rose uh, just didn't want to do it. So Sparky uh, asked him if he would do so for the good of the team, instead of just saying, Hey, you're going to go play third base. You know, sometimes you hear man or fear fans complain like managers are tr- like Dusty Baker got this a lot. Like, why does Dusty try to be friends with him? It's not necessarily him being friends. He's just trying to motivate uh, players to do something that may go against their career. Um, on a small level, but would be great for the team, which in turn would be great for their career. And, uh, you know, Sparky Anderson was, was a probably the best uh, manager of all time at doing that. It's why he won two world championships with the Reds, uh, another championship with the uh, Tigers. Uh, so, you know, uh, Rose definitely agreed. Uh, and that allowed uh, George Foster into the lineup. So, uh, there was no DH back then. Had there been a DH in, in the National League in 75, 76, uh, that, probably, that move to third base probably would not have happened. Uh, but uh, thankfully there was no uh, designated hitter in the National League up until this year. And uh, Rose uh, made the move. And, uh, you know, the Reds won the World Series. Rose got the World Series MVP. 
uh, in 75, which is the Reds' first uh, championship since 1940, and uh, one of the greatest World Series of all time against the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, any kids today have never seen that World Series. You know, we try and find it because, it, especially Game 6. Game 6 is incredible. Absolutely. Uh, Rose uh, had 10 hits in the series with a three seventy batting average in all seven games. Uh, he got the uh, Hickok belt as the top professional athlete of the year and uh, was also Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year in uh, 75. In 76, uh, definitely a major force in the uh, repeat as World Series champions, uh, the Reds. Swept the Phillies uh, in three out of five in the NLCS and swept the Yankees in four games. Um, which you is talk about you talk about on a mission. Oh, absolutely! And you know it's kind of funny. I mean, granted, the Reds have not been to the World Series uh, since 1990, but their last two World Series appearances they uh, have swept uh, undefeated. The, undefeated. So really, they have an, in the World Series. The Reds have a nine-game winning streak. That's awesome. <laughs> we got to hold on to something. It's been a long time. I'll take that. I'll take that all day and tell people, hey, we haven't lost a World Series game since 1975. Right. And, and you know, the 1976 Reds team, though, is still the only team uh, since the expansion of the playoffs in 1969 to go undefeated in the postseason. I mean, that, that's a staggering number just to hear that because of, of, of all the teams you got now, since you're the wild card and all that. You didn't have the wild card then. It was basically you won your division, you went to the NLCS. Right. That's just how it went. There was no wild card. There was no division play. None of that stuff. We just you, we won, you won, you won, and that was it. Yeah, I guess the, the Braves. I guess the Braves this year have a chance to uh, to go undefeated. Tell you what, you know what? If if they were to win the World Series this year, I wouldn't be sad because they, you know, we we played them, and we eventually would lose to the World Series champions. Right. Uh, so. You know, 1976 Reds, Pete Rose had a great year again, and the Reds had a great year. Uh, fast forward to his 78th season, uh, he became the 13th player in Major League's history uh, to gain 3,000 career hits, uh, singling off Montreal Expos pitcher Steve Rogers in front of 37,823 fans, which uh, in the era of coronavirus sounds scary, <laughs> at uh, home-filled Riverfront Stadium. Yeah, Pete had a pretty good year that year, too. Yeah, well, and, and uh, starting in June um, of 1978, Rose singled in the first inning off of Cub pitchers Dave Roberts and would proceed to get a hit in every game he played uh, that year until August 1st, making a run at uh, Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. Uh, Rose got 44 games, and... Uh, Streak started quietly, but by the time it reached 30 games, you know, the media took notice and it became a circus. And, and he's one, he's the, he's the only one that's gotten that close to 56 games. I don't think anybody will. This, these days, it just ain't going to happen. Right. Uh, eventually, uh, Rose tied Willie Keeler's 1897 single season National League record at 44 games, uh, but it came to an end on August 1st when uh, Gene Garber. Of the Atlanta Braves struck Rose out in the ninth inning uh, with two outs and a 2-2 count. Uh, Garber decided not to challenge Rose with a fastball, took full advantage of uh, Rose's uh, predicament by throwing him an all-speed pitch way out of the strike zone, and Rose swung and missed. And today, fans on social, social media would have been 
uh, talking about trading Rose and he's washed up, no good. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Rose was sour after the game. Uh, he blasted Garber and the Braves for treating the situation. It was like the ninth inning of the seventh uh, game of the World Series. Uh, Garber took the comment as a compliment and said, I said to myself, well, thanks, Pete. That's how I try to pitch every time I'm in the game. So uh, Rose was upset, uh, but uh, anyway, still an amazing hit streak at 44 games. Of course, you know, the Reds, like I kind of joked, the Reds fans, if there was social media in 1978 and Rose struck out uh, on a pitch way outside the zone uh, to end the exciting part of that season, uh, they have been asking for him to be traded. Well, uh, that didn't necessarily happen, but in 79, uh, the Phillies, uh, brought him over as a free agent. Uh, Rose signed a four-year, $3.2 million contract, which made him the highest-paid athlete in team sports history at that time. Yeah, that's uh, that's chicken feed money these days. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, of course, he uh, got to join uh, Mike Schmidt on the team as well at third. Uh, Rose uh, went to first base, which where he uh, kind of finished out his career Uh Phillies missed the postseason in Rose's first career with the team, uh, but went on to earn three division titles, uh, two World Series appearances, and a uh, World Series title in 1980 in the following four years. Giving three rings. And it makes him the winningest player in, in any sport. Absolutely. And kind of a funny story uh, about that ring. I actually got to see it, and my friend's son actually got to wear it in an elevator in a hotel in Albany, New York in 2016 when we went to to, uh, Cooperstown to see Ken Griffey Jr. inducted. Uh, There was a guy that was in there. uh, His name was Mickey. Yeah, this doesn't sound shady at all, but uh, he had had Pete Rose's uh, Philadelphia Phillies uh, championship ring and uh, was a super nice guy and uh, uh, in in the elevator and, and, but... uh, but yeah, so I, I got to see the ring up close and personal, and uh, and my friend's son actually got to hold and wear the ring, which was uh, was pretty good. For some reason, we didn't get a picture of that though. I, I'm not sure why, or, or maybe my friend did. But uh, anyway, it was a fun trip uh, there, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, uh, towards the end of the show. Uh, so with the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, he did have a, the worst season of his career in 1983. Um, yeah. 42 Two years po- old. 245 batting average. That was terrible. 121 hits, which, you know, there's some Reds players now. You'd be very happy if they got 121 hits in a season. Uh, he got benched uh, as part of the season, and then uh, he did become a pinch hitter uh, with eight hits and 21 bats, a 381 average, which – you would strive for a pinch hitter, bench guy for that in today's game. Oh yeah, no matter what your age is, if you can still get hits off the bench, that's that, yeah, take it. Right, but uh, you know the during the postseason that year in '83, uh, 375 average in the NLCS against the Dodgers, 312 in the World Series against the Orioles, and uh, got benched for Game Three uh, in Philadelphia because he started off that series one for eight, but. Uh, you know, came back and uh, and uh, did okay in the, in the series, but uh, Rose uh, did not uh, like being benched, especially uh, in the World Series, and told Howard Cosell 
uh, as so much uh, so much about that objecting into the media. And uh, then the, that's when he bounced back with four hits in the last seven at-bats in the remaining two games. But the Phillies lost the uh, series uh, four games to one. And then he uh, got an unconditional release from his contract in 83. Uh, the Phillies wanted to actually retain him for the 84 season, but uh, he, he wanted to play. Pete Rose is not a guy that wants to sit on the bench. Not at all. He's a, he's a guy has been a gamer from, from day one in high school or wherever, and he wasn't going to sit on the bench. Not even in his 40s, he's not going to sit on the bench. Right. So he uh, so he uh, went to the uh, Montreal Expos, and on April 13th, uh, 1984, the 21st anniversary of his first career hit, uh, Rose doubled off Phillies' Jerry Kuzman for his 4,000th career hit, becoming the second player in the 4,000 club, uh, of course, joining Ty Cobb. And Rose played 95 games with the Expos, uh, got 72 hits, 23 RBIs, uh, batting 259, and then was traded to Cincinnati to the Reds on August 5th, 19, August 15th, 1984, for Reds infielder Tom Lawless. Of course, Marge was in charge of the team at that time, and definitely wanted to bring back Pete Rose in, in big ways, and. Uh, Definitely was. He became player manager, which I think would probably be the last player manager in pro sports history. No doubt. And, uh, you know, I remember as a kid, like, oh, Pete Rose is coming back. It wasn't the same Pete Rose. I was too young, really, to remember the uh, the 75, 76, 77 years. But, every, you know, my dad talked a lot about Pete Rose. Uh, people, my older relatives love Pete Rose. So uh, it was it was pretty exciting times and as Pete Rose uh, started um, towards that 4192 mark. Yeah, I mean when he came back here he about 365, so I think he was glad to be home. <laughs> yes, he was. 26 games, uh, had 35 hits, 11 RBIs, uh, 286 overall average uh, for that year. Uh, so you know the people that say, "Well, Joey Votto's washed up. He's never going to raise his average again." It can happen. Pete Rose yeah. is proof of that. I mean, he, yes, they're both Rose was 42 at this time, uh, so Joey's much younger than that. And uh, we can uh, just hope that uh, Votto can uh, not be – no one's going to be Pete Rose, but uh, just get back to being Joey Votto again, at least uh, a better glimpse than what he has hit the last couple of years. And uh, 2020, I think for everybody, you just got to kind of throw – not necessarily throw it out, but throw it out. 60-game season with COVID going on, uh, a lot of distractions uh, there. But uh, back to Rose, the big date, September 11th, 1985. Pete Rose broke Ty Cobb's all-time hit record uh, with his 4,192nd hit to single to left center field off of uh, Padres pitcher Eric Schau. And according uh, to uh, MLB.com, Major League Baseball continues to recognize Cobb's total at 4,191. Though, uh, you know, there's some uh, some independent researchers that said that two of Cobb's hits were counted uh, twice. So they're saying that uh, Rose actually broke the record in Chicago. Uh, but uh, you can't change history. So I, I still go no. with 4192. Yeah, 4192 is still the, you know, the record. The record to be broken was 4191. They don't care what anybody says. Pete broke it September 11th, 1985 in Cincinnati. Right, and that year, uh, Pete Rose uh, was the uh, athlete of the year for ABC's Wide World of Sports, and uh, 
you know, before the career was over, uh, accumulated 4,256 career hits. And uh, his final career at bat was a strikeout against San Diego's uh, Rich Gossage on August 17th, 1986, wrapping up an absolutely unbelievable career. I was there for that game. I was 10 years old, and I was, but I was, I was there, and I do remember that at bat. Right. So, so looking at his career and records and achievements in baseball, uh, most career at bats, 14,053. Career plate appearances, 15,890. Most career hits, 4,256. 3,215 singles. Uh, most career times on base, 5,929 times. Wow. Most career outs. Now, this one may get broken. <laughs> I, I kid, but after watching some of the Reds plate appearances this year, 10,328 times Pete Rose got out. That's, that's an astronomical number. Uh, 3,562 games played. Uh, out of those 3,562 games, uh, the, his team won 1,972 times, another record. Yeah. Uh, he's the only player to play at least 500 games at five different positions. First base, 939 games. Left field, 671. Third base, 634. Second base, 628. And right field, 595 times. Uh, most career runs by a switch hitter, 2,165. Most career doubles by a switch hitter, 746. Uh, most career walks by a switch hitter, 1,566. Uh, most career total bases by a switch hitter, 5,752. Uh, most seasons of 200 or more hits. I don't think this will ever be broken either. Uh, it is shared, but I don't see players today getting 200 hits that often. Uh, 10, especially for 10 seasons. Uh, most consecutive seasons of 100 or more hits, 23. That's going to be tough to beat uh, just because players don't play that long anymore. Nope. And teams don't want players around that long anymore either. So, you know, a 15-year career is is good enough today. Uh, most consecutive seasons with 600 or more at-bats, 13. Uh, most seasons with uh, 600 at-bats, 17. Uh, most seasons with 150 more games played, 17. That's another record I don't think will be beaten, uh, especially since this was a 60-game season. So that kind of that hurts some of the younger players today. Uh, most seasons with 100 or more games played, 23. That definitely will not be broken. Uh, National League records, most years played, 24. Most consecutive years played, 24. Most careers runs, 2,165. Uh, career doubles, 746. Career games with five or more hits, 10. And the uh, modern National League record for longest consecutive game hitting streak, 44. That one might get beat. Yeah, It'll maybe. be tough. But that, 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 one's, that one, I think, is in the realm of possibility. And uh, most hitting streaks of 20 or more consecutive games, seven. That's just kind of amazing. And uh, not only that, he had the highest modern-day career fielding percentage for a right fielder and the uh, National League modern-day career fielding percentage for a left fielder at 99.14%. And um, only behind... His numbers, his numbers are just incredible. I mean, oh, absolutely. 
you need to go through the list over and, and just go wow, 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 wow at everything. And of course, uh, that was the end of his playing career, but uh, he continued on with a uh, with a managerial career. Now, his retirement of a player was not a hundred percent his choice. I don't think. Uh, November 11th, the Reds uh, dropped him from the 40-man roster to make room for pitcher Pat Pasillo. And uh, so there he unofficially retired as a player. Um, finished. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he, it was a mutual discussion since he was still still going to be the manager, but uh, ended, ended his career with uh, a 303 lifetime batting average. Now I wanted him to make something clear to, to all, the, all the baseball fans out there. Ichiro is not the hit king. He no. can't combine numbers. Okay, he hit three thousand eighty nine home hits in his career as a major leaguer. That's what everybody's looking at. They don't look at his Japan numbers. They don't look at his high school numbers. They don't look at any of that stuff. It's what he did in the majors. So he's on the three thousand hit list. That's it. He's got <laughs> players in front of him. He's, Pete Rose is at the top of it. He's going to stay there. So as a uh... As a manager, he had a record of 426 wins, 388 losses. Uh, during most of his four seasons as 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 a Reds manager, he placed second place. Uh, Reds in the, the those years could have really used the wild card for those for those teams. They always struggled against the Dodgers, who usually I think won the, a lot of those seasons. Pete P was a damn good manager. I mean, those numbers up there, you know, he's, he's an over 500 manager in, in the win column. But like you said, if we would have had a wild card back then, we would have been in the playoffs those four years. Right. So, of course, uh, then his troubles as managers started uh, first in a game I went to, April 30th, 1988. Uh, home game during the New York Mets. I had seats in right field as part of straight eight night. So, you know, rewarding the kids for good – Good behavior. Uh, two out, top of the ninth inning. Mookie Wilson hit what looked to be a routine ground ball to shortstop, but uh, and I'm surprised this was the ninth inning. It seemed like there was a lot more time left in the game, but uh, I was 13, so or I was 12 at the time. Uh, so anyway, uh, throw to first base was wide. Uh, pulled the first baseman's foot off the bag. Dave Pallone uh, didn't make the safe call immediately, and uh, instead of uh, Going on with the play, the first baseman waited for the call instead of making the play at the plate, uh, allowing Howard Johnson to score all the way from second base with what would turn out to be the game-winning run. Of course, Rose came out fired up, something you would not see today. Actually, in this case, you might still see this, uh, just the way the whole thing played out, because I don't know what they would have done with the runner uh, with instant replay. But um, but anyway, Rose actually pushed Pallone with his shoulder and forearm, knocking Pallone several feet backwards. Pallone, of course, ejected Rose. Uh, you know, you can't touch an umpire, so you, you can't blame Pallone for ejecting. That part was, that part was true. The call was awful, but the, the, you, can't, you, can't, uh, you can't really blame Pallone for ejecting Rose, but uh, Rose had to be forcibly restrained by his uh, coaches, uh, as he uh, came back for Pallone, uh, Rose claimed that Pallone had initiated the contact, and that can be seen in the footage of the incident pointing uh, to his cheek, uh, attempting to explain to uh, umpire Eric Gregg that uh, Pallone poked him in the face. Uh, in his book, Pallone wrote an entire chapter on the incident and said he did not touch Rose, 
and that National League uh, personnel who investigated the incident later agreed with him. Uh, in the time it took Rose to remove, uh, or the time to remove Rose from the field, fans began showering the field with objects that included radios and cigarette lighters. Uh, as you know, uh, Marty and Joe got called to the uh, commissioner's office over that. And uh, even though the inning was not over, everybody uh, went to the dugouts and Reds owner Marge Schott posted a message on the uh, scoreboard asking pa- fans to stop throwing objects on the field. My parents, uh, they wanted to leave the game. I'm like, let's just, I, I think I begged them to stay because we always left early to beat traffic because uh, we lived an hour away in Maysville. But uh, anyway, uh I remember seeing just this waterfall of, um, you know, beer, water, who knows what, coming over the green seats uh, over into the field. Uh, There's a 14-minute, 15-minute delay of the game. Uh, Pallone actually left the field uh, because, uh, you know, just the anger with the fans. Uh, uh, so they completed the game with three umpires, National League president, uh, Bart Giamatti suspended Rose for 30 days, uh, which was the longest suspension ever for an on-field incident involving a manager. He also fined Rose a substantial amount of money, uh, which was never disclosed. Giamatti said such incidents are not business as usual and will not allow to become to become so. Um, as a 12-year-old, I loved it. <laughs> well, let's go back to that that game real quick. Um, Reds and Mets had they had some some really nasty games in the oh, 80s. Oh, I mean, absolutely. There was, a, there was a game with David, Eric Davis fighting Ray Knight at third base. I don't know when that was the same game or not. No, but it, 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 was, it was not. Yeah. That, there, was a, there was another fight in that game, and let me pull it up on baseball reference. I believe it was Daryl Strawberry, and I want to say Tom Browning started that game, but I could be wrong. Uh, but, yeah, there was, a, there was another fight earlier in that game. Uh, let's see, that was 1988. Um. I just remember sitting in the right field stands and they used to chant Daryl to Daryl Strawberry and the fans <laughs> would pick up on it and go, Oh, let's do that. Oh yeah. That's uh, that was pretty big back then. But then, so let's uh, take a look at this game. 1988, the Reds finished second on the year and uh, let's see April 30th, Saturday night game. Remember? Well, Reds lost six to five uh, in that game. Um, as you said, it was an A. Was it for A students? Uh, for straight A students uh, night. So you could you got red seats for free, and then you could pay an extra couple bucks to get a blue blue seat, which uh, were the uh, lower level seats. Yep, Tom Browning started the game, uh, pitched six and two thirds innings. Um, he said straight A's. Like you know, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, maybe there wasn't a fight. I could have swore there was a fight, though, in, in that game because uh, I don't see any ejections in the box score, but I, I seemingly remember it, and I don't see any hit by pitches. So, um, Daryl Strawberry did get a home run off of uh, Tom Browning in the sixth inning as well as a double. See, back then you had lefty versus lefty. Nobody cared. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so, Strawberry could hit lefties. Strawberry hit lefties real well. Yeah, I swear I remember a uh, remember a fight in that game, other than just uh, Pete Rose and the umpires. Maybe maybe it was one of those where the benches. It seemed like back then, though, if the bench is clear, there was not going to be just you know standing around. There was going to be uh, s- swinging and stuff. So uh, maybe it didn't happen. 
Uh, I don't see any ejections on this box score, so maybe I, I'm remembering it incorrectly, but I swear that uh, there was uh, there was an incident, if I remember correctly. Do, do you do you remember the game when Ronald Oster broke his leg? That I do not. That I can't I, I say it was against the Mets or the Astros. But if it was against the Mets, I'm thinking it might have been uh, that might have been something that may have started on the field. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Yep. Uh, no, it, it wouldn't have been this game, I don't think. So, because yeah. um, I know it was '88 when Oster broke his leg. Yeah, Concepcion was actually starting second base this game. Okay. So anyway, my, my memory remembers a fight, but uh, the box score is not backing that up. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll move on with that. But I do definitely remember the just waterfalls of beer, pop, water uh, at that game and. Um, it, it was, it was pretty crazy. I probably would have took my kids home if, if something like that would, would happen uh, today. And as we talked about, uh, Giamatti called up, uh, Marty and Joe, uh, to his office in New York and got on them for inciting the fans, uh, for irresponsible remarks. Uh, Giamatti told Brenneman and Nuxall, there's no excuse for encouraging a situation where the physical safety and well-being of any individual is put significantly at risk. Um, and I know Marty and Joe both uh, completely disagreed with with the uh, league president at the time, but um, kind of is what it is. Yeah, and you know how Marty is. Marty tells it like it is. Oh, absolutely. And, he, and he's 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 the one that really got called out more than Joe did. But Joe was backing up what Marty was saying as well. Right. So of course, nineteen eighty nine happens. Uh, the Dowd report comes out. Bart Giamatti is uh, now commissioner uh, in May uh, from Peter Uberoth, uh, who I thought was one of the more underrated uh, commissioners in baseball. I think he did a lot of good for the game in the 1980s. Uh, but uh, anyway, he had to deal with he had to deal with that strike in 1981. Yeah, and of course uh, the the investigation into uh, Pete Rose started under under uh, Peter Uberoth. So. It uh, concluded with uh, Rose, a lot of uh, different court hearings on the matter. Uh, George or Judge uh, Norbert Nadel, who still uh, is convinced that baseball did not have the evidence. Uh, he, still, uh, he still says that, uh, that he did give Rose a fair hearing. The commissioner disagreed and moved the case into uh, federal court. And um, the uh, federal court uh, granted Giamatti's p- petition and then uh, there was an agreement where Rose uh, signed that he was going to accept the uh, indefinite suspension with uh, with neither party admitting uh, wrongdoing. Of course, Bart Giamatti kind of uh, <laughs> went back on his word the next day, and uh, Pete never got a chance for his reinstatement uh, with Giamatti because, unfortunately, uh, Giamatti passed away in 92 or 91. I forget, uh, I forget when, but... Uh, Oh, and actually, he died in that year, 1989, eight days after Rose's suspension. And Faye Vincent had no love of Pete Rose whatsoever. Rose uh, did reapply for a reinstatement in 92. Uh, Faye Vincent did nothing with it. Neither did uh, Bud Selig. And Rob Manfred. Rob. Hmm. 2015, Pete uh, did apply for reinstatement. Rob uh, rejected it, uh, stating that uh, Rose had not been forthcoming about his gambling. 
and that Rose was still betting on baseball, although you know he's not in baseball anymore, so he's not breaking that rule since he's not in baseball, and the bets this time are are legal bets compared with bookies. But uh, you know, Major League Baseball still bars players, managers, and coaches from any form of gambling on baseball, legal or otherwise. And then uh, he also felt that Rose did not have a quote unquote mature understanding of his wrongful conduct and that the damage it had done to the game. For these reasons, Manfred concluded that allowing him back in the game would be an unacceptable risk. Uh, I have problems with the reasoning given by baseball because it's very hypocritical when you go to the games and see uh, casinos sponsoring uh, sections of the wall, uh, sponsoring contests. I mean, I took advantage of that a few years ago when uh cincinnati's casino i forget what it was called at the time hollywood or wasn't hollywood whatever it was before horseshoe casino uh gave out free um buffets with your reds ticket so i, I definitely took advantage of that but uh you have DraftKings now uh, i believe i saw some stadiums are actually going to put sports books inside the stadium so it, what rose did in 88 uh, or did before 88, but the rules in baseball about gambling and how they're looking at it from an organization is a little bit hypocritical now compared to uh, back in 88. Uh, so I, I think much of what Rob does is he kind of tries to play both sides of the fences, which has been what baseball's done uh, with this uh, suspension uh, since it started. I mean, Rose's first time back on the field was because of a sponsored um segment in the all-star game or world series with the all century team in uh, 1999. Yeah. And, and, and you look now, I mean, today gambling is almost legal everywhere, you know? And, and, and like you said, and you see, you know, DraftKings here in baseball and football and, and there's basketball and all these other sports have all these sponsors and there's gambling. So, and, and not helping that Pete lives in Vegas and he gambles all the time in horses, but that's right. Different. I mean, he even but bets I, on baseball now too, from what I understand, which, you know, this baseball betting is kind of a stupid bet to begin with. And there was something else uh, we didn't touch on. Uh, I know John Dowd uh, has said that he believes Rose probably bet on the team, but there was no evidence inside the Dowd report that showed that uh, Pete Rose uh, bet against his team. Uh, and it doesn't matter as far as the rules go. Uh, yeah. but, uh, at least hopefully, uh, protecting the integrity of the game. Um, it, I don't think, it, people, it, I don't think people would ever vote, whatever, whatever, uh, betting his own team. I think that would be hypocritical. Uh, it would, it would. He's, and, he's a Brad's fan. He grew up in Cincinnati. Why would he bet against his own team? Sometimes, sometimes to be the devil's advocate, sometimes money, uh, overrules love. And, uh, I mean, that's, as a Reds fan, I mean, part of that is kind of tough. I mean, what if uh, he threw, and it's hard to say, but what if uh, some of those games in those eight, 1980 seasons when he was manager, he made some decisions uh, based on his own personal bets instead of uh, what was best for the team? Could they have uh, went went above the Dodgers in those years? Uh, so, I mean, there's some, there's some questions. There's some legit questions about that. Uh, there's no proof, uh, and there was a lot of proof against Rose uh, inside the doubt report, but uh, I mean that, that that's where the integrity of the game comes in. But uh, you know, all these years later, uh, all these years later, I, I think it's time, at least uh, at least to consider it a partial reinstatement. I mean, Rose at, at his age, outside of being kind of an ambassador for the Reds or maybe the Phillies, 
Uh, and, and with some of the other stuff, controversies around Rose, maybe that's not going to happen anyway. But, uh, but um, you know, at his age, he's not going to be working every day in baseball as it's ran by the analytic uh, accounting type people uh, inside the game. Uh, but uh, it, it was nice to see him honored uh, by the Reds a few years ago when he got his statue. He got inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame. He did uh, get his number retired. All of those things needed to happen. The Reds were were not issuing fourteen out to anybody that was not named Rose. Right, and he, and, he, and all those accolades were well deserved and way overdue. You know, and I feel the same. Like we go back, you want to go back a little bit, like Sheila's Joe Jackson. You know, he's banned for betting on baseball. He threw the nineteen nineteen World Series. He's part of that whole thing. But he he's even you know anybody you ever asked to say tell you he never once through his his performance in that series he right. batted like 372 or something like that and he was always playing at the top of his game in that world series but he never once said that he was part of that whole scheme to throw the world series but he was out there playing his best right and so and, maybe he just got caught up in the whole thing because he was on the team yeah and hall of fame eligibility uh that part I think has struck Reds fans and Pete Rose fans wrong more than anything because the, the most likely, even if he was remaining on the ballot, uh, and we've kind of seen this with uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, some of the deserving players today that got caught up in the steroid scandal, I don't think the writers would have voted them in. Uh, so in 91, uh, right before Rose was going to be eligible for the uh, Hall of Fame through the uh, baseball writers vote. They just made all players on the ineligible list uh, ineligible from uh, being enshrined. And then in 2008, the Veterans Committee did the same thing. Uh, and I know uh, workers in Cooperstown have told me when I came up there wearing Reds garb and Reds gear, and I think I had a Pete Rose shirt on because uh, I got a chance to meet him up in uh, Cooperstown. And um, they told me that Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose is definitely a Hall of Famer. We went through all the stats earlier, records that are never going to be broken, the World Series, the MVP. Pete Rose uh, is definitely an an all-star or a Hall of Famer. He, he should be in there. Uh, he is in the Hall of Fame, but he should be awarded the same uh, honor. Maybe you don't let him have the speech. Maybe you just, you just give him the plaque. Uh, but... Um, I mean, yeah. he's got he's got records in the Hall of Fame. He's got equipment that he used in those games where he broke records right. that are in the Hall of Fame. His bats, his shoes, his, his jerseys, everything is there. So he's he's basically there, but just not not in his name, is it? Right, and I'm I'm uh, I've I've went back and forth on this over the years. I, I think uh, I think it is proper for Pete Rose to be in the Hall of Fame. I think there should be a plaque there. I, I think uh, giving him even. Uh, the limited time that you give uh, your the players for a speech uh, should be uh, given that chance. I, I think just barring him and not letting the Veterans Committee have a say on it, uh, I think, is wrong. I, I know every year the uh, this doesn't get broadcast on uh, ESPN when they do the uh, Hall of Fame ceremony, but um, the president of the Hall of Fame talks about integrity of – of the players. It's not just about what happened on the field, but if you look at some of the names that are in the hall of fame, there are racists on there. There are uh, drunks. There are cheaters in the game. 
that uh, you found every competitive advantage, whether they are legal or not. Um, spitballs. Well, I, mean, well, I mean, even nobody's perfect. Right. Nobody's ever been perfect. You know, Ty Cobb was a, he, he was a guy that was everybody considered him a jerk. He went up in the stands and beat up a cripple one time, from what I've read. Right. I mean, what, what kind of player does that? I mean, the only you, you can't you can't say that you know what he did on the field, but he's on the field when he jumped in the stands and did that. So that, absolutely, you know, nobody's perfect in this in his lifetime, and I think it's the same goes with Pete. Well, I mean, and and I, I hate when uh, people try to uh, granted right is right, wrong is wrong, but uh, right. times are different from what the, what was socially acceptable then compared to now. Uh, but you do have the, the for example, uh, the first commissioner who uh, got started because of gambling and baseball is now being removed. Uh, and I, I think rightfully so. I've heard some of the players that have had the award uh, talk about it, such as Barry Larkin. Uh, but Land, Landis is being removed from the MVP award. Uh, I have, yeah. In some ways, I, I like just, you know, let's just call it the MVP award and not uh, – and not name it after a, a, someone that actually n- never played professional baseball, as far as I know. Uh, so he was never an MVP. I, I like if you're going to name an award, especially on player achievement, it, I'd rather than name it after a player. But uh, you know, no one is perfect. So if you're gonna if you're gonna have uh, something something like that uh, and try to um, change change things or right wrongs it's probably best just to um leave names off of awards just call it the mvp award i honestly didn't really know it was the landis award uh i just called it yeah joey Votto won the mvp award um i I think the only one that i hear that puts a name on it is the uh, canadian award that joey pretty much wins every year but uh but uh, anyway, back to the Hall of Fame. I, I I think you have to separate the off-field person uh, with the actual play of the game. Uh, with that, I think uh, Barry Bonds should be a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens, I think, uh, is up there in the Hall of Fame. I think you don't hide behind. I don't think you pretend that nothing this happened. So if Pete Rose got in the Hall of Fame uh, while he's alive or even uh, – after he passes away someday, I th- I think you put him in the Hall of Fame, but you don't ignore the fact that he was suspended for uh, indefinitely uh, for gambling. Uh, I, I think there should be redemption. I, I think uh, Rob Manfred should look at that again. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, it's part of me thinks that part of there's part of me that thinks uh, Pete, in in some ways, doesn't want it to happen because he remains kind of the martyr. Uh, he's at Cooperstown, but at the same time, I've met Pete Rose twice, once in Cooperstown, once at uh, Reds Fest. Uh, both were due to me departing with some of my hard-earned money, but <laughs> that, that's fair. But uh, in Cooperstown, Pete was, I mean, he, he was really nice to my friend's son, uh, but with me, he wasn't a jerk. Uh, I've heard some people say that. He just wasn't overly nice, wasn't laughing, seemed, seemed to be a little bit in a foul mood. So maybe it, it does kind of bother him. Uh, I, th- I think one of his t- one of the titles of his, of his books were called "My Prison Without Bars," and I, I know he was still denying that he bet on baseball in that book. But uh, I, I do think when he goes to Cooperstown, signs the autograph. I think there's part of him missing uh, to be with the other players uh, at the All Star banquets or the the 
Hall of Fame banquets that they go to, the parade down down the street in, in the heart of Cooperstown. It, it, it's such an amazing event uh, to be at. So, uh, you know, Rose, of course, is making his money signing autographs there. Uh, but I, I do think there's part of him uh, that for two reasons. I mean, Pete's all, always been about money. Uh, so, you know, Hall of Famers autographs are wor- worth more. Uh, Pete signs a lot of them, so his autographs are worth a little bit less. For example, Ken Griffey Jr., who does not sign a lot of autographs, his autographs are, I think, about $350 for an autograph baseball, or Pete's uh, around $85, $95. So there's probably some financial reasoning that Pete wants to be at the Hall of Fame. But I I do believe him when he said he wanted reinstated so his his, uh, grandkids could see see that, um, you know, he wasn't all bad. Well, I mean, yeah, his baseballs are. There's, I got one right here behind me, and um, I think what he doesn't sign now is like baseball cards. He doesn't sign them because I don't think he's allowed to. Uh, I'm not sure that part. I'm not so sure. Now, junior, 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 he does a limited number of cards that he can sign, but he doesn't do like you say. He doesn't do as many autographs because he doesn't really. I don't think he yeah, likes he it. Like, he hasn't really been. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't think he does either. He doesn't, he doesn't really, like he's still, it. He's yeah. he's still getting paid by the Reds uh, with the great deal that he made for the Reds and with Linder. So he still gets uh, his retirement check, uh, so to speak, from the Reds every year. On, I'd love uh, to see him. I'd love to see him at Reds Fest one of these days. That'd be yeah, awesome. I I don't think it's going to happen. But yeah, he not. didn't. He really didn't go to Reds Fest as a player. He's he's kind of uh, he's kind of attached himself uh, to the Mariners organization, uh, which you know. Um, That's understandable. It's understandable. And I think uh, his family likes it out in Seattle uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but, you know, he had his best years as a, as a player there. Uh, Cincinnati, he got – I think he came to Cincinnati hoping he wouldn't get the same, you know, uh, negative attention that he would if he went to, to New York. Uh, but, unfortunately, he got – uh, when he was here, he kind of like Joey Votto gets us gets, he gets both of them had fair criticisms against him. Both of them, uh, because of the amount of money that they made, uh, and the fact that especially with junior more than Votto, uh, the team didn't spend any money, uh, after, after junior's contract, uh, during the lender years. Uh, you can't really say that with Votto as much, especially with what the Reds spent this past season and what they, what they spent the last time the Reds had a winning, uh, Winning window with uh, Chapman and uh, Ryan Matson, who never pitched a, even through a single pitch with the Reds, but still got ten million dollars. But uh, that's a nice deal. Absolutely, but ten, ten million dollars to have Tommy John surgery and not pitch one, right. one inning. So, so yeah, but uh, but anyway, yeah. So, but with with uh, with Junior, I I think he just likes to likes the uh, Seattle area. And Rose, of course, loves Cincinnati. I, he lives in Vegas, like you said. It's kind of a sad sight. I've I've read from some reporters and and friends that have been out there that sees him out in the in the shopping mall. But like I said, I, I've met Pete Rose twice. Once in Cooperstown, he was kind of, eh. he was like, yeah, it was like a, almost like okay, here you go, get out of here, kid. Great, I'm 44. I was 43 at the time. I'm 45 now, but. Uh, Actually, wow, I was 40 at the time. <laughs> time flies. But uh, anyway, uh, but then I met him later that same year at uh, Reds Fest, and uh, he he was cutting jokes with me and uh, laughing. He was having a great time. Of course, you know, he was part of that went to him. Part of that went to the Reds Hall of Fame. Uh, you got to meet him if you bu- purchased one of the, the baseballs that the Hall of Fame sold. 
I, I have that on my uh, wall in my hallway into my Reds room and broadcast studios. But, uh, but yeah, so Pete Rose, uh, he's kind of a tale of two different people, no matter how you look at it, both in personal life, both in uh, his playing career, his managerial career, and, of course, uh, his uh, his suspension. So to kind of wrap things up, uh, you definitely – think uh, i know you think p rose should probably be allowed back in baseball do you think he should work for a team uh if he was allowed not not at his age now um i think as an advisor maybe you know maybe help out some of the young guys trying to i mean he would have been perfect to be around like billy hamilton when he was here because billy needed to get on base and right. he was the guy that could get on base and show him how to do that so right. i think p, p would be a great advisor to guys like that I think, uh, especially now that gambling's coming back in into the league, it puts baseball in kind of a hypocritical position. But uh, Rose, for whatever reason, I don't know, he doesn't say he's addicted to gambling. I, I think his, I, I think anyone looking outside uh, would say he probably is. Uh, it's definitely caused him harm in his life, uh, his gambling um, habits and uh, activities, but. Uh, I think he should be allowed in the Hall of Fame. I'm kind of against re- full reinstatement, but uh, I, I do think there should be a level of forgiveness. Uh, um, I mean, he he's it's it's been lessened over the years. Like in when he left baseball, uh, he went to work for Channel Five, I believe, for a very brief period of time. Uh, but he couldn't do his job because baseball wouldn't let him in the locker rooms to even interview as a journalist. Uh, so which I thought was ridiculous at that too. I mean, that's his new job. You got to give him access. Uh, you know, he, he was working for Fox a few years ago. So, um, I like that deal. That was cool. He was in the studio teaching a rod how to hit. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was definitely entertaining. He's definitely an entertaining per- person. He's in the WWE hall of fame. Uh, he actually had a long, uh, running, uh, feud or rivalry with, uh, WWE star star Kane, who's now a mayor in uh, Knox County, uh, Tennessee. Uh, so uh, he's he's done no, a lot those of were fun. Those he's were fun days. He's done a lot of entertaining things. He would join Johnny Bench back in the day on the baseball bunch. Uh, so Pete's definitely an entertainer. Uh, he was entertaining on the field, but uh, I, I think if baseball could find a way to bring him back to bring people into the game, I think it would work. But him having any type of job where he could influence rosters or uh, lineups or anything like that. As much as I love Pete, I, I don't, I think that time's past him due to age and you know, you'd always have that shadow lo- looming over him. If the Reds, lo- if he was, if he was managing the Reds and the Reds went Oh, and two in the postseason, uh, there'd be those questions. Um, did he throw the game? Is he gambling again? So I, I, th- I think there needs to be a reinstatement enough to get him into Cooperstown, uh, maybe be part of uh, some activities like he has been allowed to with the Reds and Major League Baseball, even when a sponsor is not involved. Uh, but I, I, th- I, like I said, I think there's time for forgiveness. But uh, as far as him being fully reinstated like he would like, I, I think that's – I think that time has passed. I, I think uh, he probably should have done more to work with Giamatti back in back in '89. I think if he would have admitted it back then, instead of denying it for many years, I think he would have gotten back in. 
I, I do too. If he did it right away and didn't do it as part of a book, now I understand he makes money doing that. I have no problem with anybody making money, but uh, but I, I think that rubs some people the wrong way. And then, I mean, I defended him for years saying he did not bet on baseball. Then he comes like, like oh, yeah, I did that. I'm like, dude, really? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it, it's tough. But, yeah, Pete definitely should be in the Hall of Fame. I think uh, there. I, I believe in forgiveness, so I think there needs to be some form of reinstatement into baseball uh, while he's still alive, especially if that's what it takes to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but uh, he should be nowhere near the day-to-day operations of of baseball. No. So I think that wraps think up. I was go ahead. Real, real, real quick, I think a guy like Ted Way- Ted Simmons, not Ted Williams, Ted Simmons. You know, Simmons was a good hitter as a catcher. He got in the Hall of Fame. Um, and I don't know if it's longevity or just because of, you know, who he was with and some of his teams, but I think if, if that guy like Ted Simmons could get in, Pete Rose could get in, and maybe as a, in a writer's ballot, something something off the cusp that's going to probably happen later on, maybe after he dies, which would be right. sad. I'd like to see him get in as a, as a a while he's still alive and, and he could cherish that with his son and his family. Right, well... Uh, before we go, we have one question uh, from the uh, Facebook group, Cincinnati Reds Fans Chatter. Uh, question is from Philip Link, uh, whether or not he bet on his team to lose. I think we already covered that earlier in the show, but uh, Philip, uh, from what from the research we saw, there was no proof in the Dowd report that he bet against his own team. Uh, John Dowd believes he probably did. Uh, I think a lot of people believe that just knowing gamblers thought he would bet against his own team because, you know, that could be a sure bet. But uh, there's the other side of Pete Rose that uh, kind of like we we were just talking about, there's two sides of Pete Rose. And uh, I know, Nick, you probably take uh, this uh, this approach, but that Pete Rose was such a competitor, competitor loved the Reds, loved to win more than lose, that he probably would not have bet against his own team. I, I think it's something we're never really going to know for sure. No, and I, I think because he was a Cincinnati guy from the beginning, and I don't think he'd ever bet against his own team. I mean, and, and, and even and the, even when the Reds were not very good in the early 80s, I still think he would, he would never have bet against his own team. He's a Cincinnati guy through and through. All right. Well, that wraps it up uh, for this week's Reds Fans Chatter uh, breakdown episode. Uh, next week, I believe we're going to take a look at the uh, 2012 Reds. So, um that was definitely, a fun team. Definitely uh, subscribe and listen to us. And if you uh, do subscribe, send your screenshot along with the keyword "Hit King" for your chance to win the commemorative microphone, uh, Marty Brenneman Reds Hall of Fame ceremony it, that never happened <laughs> yeah. because of COVID. So it's definitely a collector's item. It's it's a really cool looking microphone too. So uh, until next time, go Reds. Go Reds.